everybody, and welcome to New Consciousness Review Radio, where we meet some amazing authors and filmmakers with important pieces of the puzzle of who we are and what we can be. I'm your host, Miriam Knight, and I'm delighted to have on the show today Stacy Kaiser, a psychotherapist, a lifestyle coach, and a much sought-after media personality with over 100 television appearances in the last year on major networks. Stacy brings thoughtful and provocative insight to topics ranging from office and personal relationship issues to anger management and family politics. Stacy has worked with battered women and teen parents, abused children and families in crisis for the past 13 years, and has led workshops and handled third-party mediations for major corporations and government offices. Stacy has a BA and an MA in psychology, is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and is currently pursuing her doctorate. With all of this, plus two school-aged children, she has managed to find time to write her first book called How to Be a Grown-Up, The Ten Secret Skills Everyone Needs to Know, which is coming out this week. Stacy, hello, and thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> First of all, I really have to ask you how you managed to do all you do and still look like a supermodel. I mean, really, folks, <laughs> check out the jacket of her book. You know what? I, I really make sure that my life has a lot of balance. I mean, that's part of why I wrote this book. I feel like success is about, you know, meeting your needs in every area. So I make sure that I have time for work and time for my kids and time for play. Well, you must be super. And then I just sleep a little bit less. What? <laughs> <laughs> you must be super organized. Okay. <laughs> I really try. I have to be. Okay. Well, moving past my envy and on to being a fully loaded grown-up. Now, how did you come out with this concept of the ten secret skills? Well, I have been working with people for the last twenty years in the helping profession in different areas. And one of the things I discovered is, is that I was hearing the similar themes of, you know, people had different issues and different problems, but there were a lot of the same themes. And that ultimately the, there were these 10 areas that kind of fit everyone. So some people might have issues in one, some people might have issues in five, and some people might have issues in 10, but that if you had all of these 10 areas sort of humming along, then you could feel happy and successful in your life. And, you know, most of the people that come talk to me want that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, I love the first one, face life's challenges head on. I take it that means that you have to stop blaming everybody but yourself when things go pear-shaped. That is what it means. And it also means don't put your head in the sand. You know, so many of us, when things get difficult, we don't want to take a look at it because it's too painful to look at. But if you don't face it head on and take some action, then you're not going to be able to solve your problems. Yes, I've noticed that they don't go away. Ignoring no, them is don't. not an it, option. That's what I always, the metaphor I always use is I tell people, if there's a small fire in your home, but you close the door on it, you're going to end up with a house engulfed in flames. Mm -hmm. It's really important to look at it, put the fire out, and then move on. Absolutely. Yeah. Your second secret is to make peace with your body. And you're talking a lot more uh, than just appearance, aren't you? I am. You know, I have to tell you, particularly women, 
I hear this all the time when people don't feel good about themselves physically, they just don't feel good. And so when I'm talking about making peace with your body, I'm talking about liking who you are as a whole physically, whether it's your hair color, your height, your weight, um, the clothing style that works best for your size. Those are the kind of things that you have to start to feel good about in order to feel successful and happy. Well, that's pretty difficult when you, you know, look at all of the pressures in the media to conform to a, uh, a kind of preconception of, of the ideal body, of beauty. And I'm sure that people will look at you and say, well, that's easy enough for you to stay, say, Stacy, looking as you do. But what about me? I'm 40 pounds overweight, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I hate that the media projects that image and that we feel like we need to be a part of it. I mean, I live in Los Angeles. It isn't just the media. It's the cities sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so let me say this. I was overweight most of my life. I was raised with every bad habit that you possibly could have when it comes to food. Um, And, you know, I was raised in, in Los Angeles where physical appearance, there's, you know, a lot of, You know, people put a lot of focus on that. Mm -hmm. And what I really preach, not only in my book, but in my own life and in my practice, is that you have to be the best you for you. So it doesn't matter what the people in the magazines are wearing or doing. It doesn't matter what your neighbor across the street says. It's about do you feel good about yourself? And if you don't, then you need to make a change. Well, how do you suggest people do that? I really suggest that people do a self-evaluation. And so it's not about, like I said, comparing to other people, though sometimes we use other people to sort of, you know, evaluate ourselves. But it's about, do I like how I look? Do I like how I dress? Mm -hmm. Um, Do I like my size? Do I think I'm toned and fit and healthy enough? Do I think I eat right? Um, Do do I like the way I do my makeup? I mean, it's, it's all of those questions that you want to ask yourself. And then you need to weed out the ones that you can't do anything about. Like, I happen to be very tall. I can't make myself short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those things you have to let go. But the things that you can change, people need to ask themselves, are they making changes? And I can't tell you how many people I know complain about something related to their appearance that they can fix, and they don't fix it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always tell people, if whatever tools you're using aren't working, go find new tools. There's always a way. I was listening to a video clip on your website where they were talking about uh, children. It was something about uh, pink. Um, oh, yeah, and, the Today Show segment, right. Yeah, and how children are under such pressures to conform or to be excluded, um, how would you recommend that parents deal with that? Well, I, you know, as you said, I have two school-aged children, and they're both girls, and I think the pressure is definitely more on the little girls. Mm-hmm. And so very much like I said to you, I, you know, I talk about for people our age, I say the same thing with my, to my kids. I talk to them about, do you like who you are? Who do you want to be? I have one daughter that's sporty and another that you know, wants to be sort of a fashion model look. Mm-hmm. And the sporty one dresses sporty, and the one that likes to be fashion-y is always wearing you know, heels and dresses and fancier things. And I really teach them to embrace who they are and who they want to be and live that way. 
But part of that is that you're actually living that way yourself. You're, you're leading by example. Don't a lot of parents kind of throw up their hands and say, I can't cope, you know, there's too much pressure on the other side? Oh, yes, absolutely. I hear that all the time. You know, my, I always say that children learn what they live, and their greatest role models are actually their parents. They are around us more than anyone. So there's a lot of people who blame the Internet or they blame, you know, Miley Cyrus or, you know, Justin Bieber for how their kid is behaving. But if you are teaching your children right and you are being a good role model, then they ultimately learn from that. So I, even if I am having a day where I don't feel good about myself or there's something that isn't right, I try and shield my children from that negative thinking. Because mm-hmm. I don't want them to think negatively, you know, the way I was raised to. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to your own values. I, I, you hinted at that in the interview on the, the video, but they didn't let you go into that enough. I'd like you to expand on that because I think that people in this day and age are really um, estranged from the whole concept of their values. They don't even know what their values are anymore. I think that's brilliant and completely accurate. Everybody is so busy trying to live life. I mean, the economy is bad. People are trying to raise children and make money and keep their homes and lose weight and make friends and, you know, all the things people get wrapped up in that sometimes they lose sight of what is the ultimate grounding force, which is your values. And when I, when I talk about values, what I talk about is who am I? Who do I want to be? What's important to me? What's important to me for my relationships and my children and my family and my life? Mm -hmm. And to make decisions and take action based on those values. And it's very simple. What you need to do is literally grab a piece of paper and write down what it is that is most important to you. And then you need to ask yourself if you're making those things happen in your life. And if you're not, it's time to make a change. If you're in a relationship with somebody and you're co-parenting or you're dating and your values aren't on the same page, you two need to sit down and get on the same page. Yeah, I remember when my kids were young, um, even when my husband and I disagreed on something, we would disagree offline. We would uh, always support each other and uh, work out our differences um, elsewhere. So that, so that the kids had a sense of confidence that we knew what we were doing, even when we were making it up as we went along. That's exactly the way parents need to be. You did it the right way. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> oh, I, I know there, there are books that, uh, the, there's a book I recently got for review saying, help, my baby didn't come with an instruction manual. That is so true. Well, and you know what's so funny? My book, I talk about how we don't come with an instruction manual. You know, we, we ultimately become adults and we're, you know, we have to figure a lot out on our own. And, and I think that that's, that's where it gets, you know, really important that you're on the same page with whoever you're co-parenting with or whoever you're in a relationship with or whoever you're working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So... Give us another example of a skill that we should know. 
A skill that everyone needs to know is that if you don't know something, there's someone else that does. You know, when you talked about parents throwing up their hands, mm-hmm. I mean, I see people throwing up their hands about all kinds of things in frustration. And one of the things that I, I have found to be the most helpful in my life and the people I talk to is really leaning on your support system. And your support system doesn't have to be, you know, your friend or a family member or a spouse. It could be somebody you meet online. It could be, um, you know, a website you've gone to. It could be something you read on Twitter or a book you buy in a bookstore. But it's about literally reaching out for whatever schools, skills and tools that you're not having in the moment. And so few people do that. I'm shocked. Everyone feels like they have to handle things on their own. Or they don't want to air their dirty laundry or they're afraid that no one's going to really be able to help them. And there is always somebody or something that can give you a leg up. You know, there's this, um, uh, (laughs) I don't know how to characterize it, Uh, silver lining to the cloud of all of the disruptions that we're facing in the world today, um, which is that we're being forced to reach out to each other, to reach, to, to allow ourselves to be helped or to help others because you realize that it could happen to you tomorrow, whether it's a tornado or loss of a job or, or an illness. And with the Internet, it's, it's bringing everybody that much closer to uh, being in reach of help. So that, I think you're that, absolutely right. Yeah, you and I talked you know, before I came on about the social media stuff, you know, that we're both on Facebook mm-hmm. and Twitter and all those mm-hmm. things. And, I'm, and here's the funny thing. I'm always stunned by, you know, on Facebook, my news feed is everybody wants to help whoever is having the current tragedy. Oh. And, and yet when it's us who's having the tragedy, it seems to be hard to reach out for help. It, it sure does. And that, that really is a skill that we have to learn. Stacy, another of your secret skills is to build a meaningful career. What advice can you give young people starting out in a challenging economic environment? One of the best pieces of advice I can give is this. When it comes to building a career, it needs to be more than just about money. It needs to be about satisfaction. The people who are in their jobs and careers long term are people who are satisfied not just financially, but, you know, they're fulfilled, they like what they're doing, they feel like they're giving back, whatever, whatever it is that meets their needs. And what I see happening with a lot of young people is because they need money, they fall into a job that pays, and they stay there. And it's really important. It actually doesn't even matter what age you are. If you're in a job and it's not a job you want to be in, then you need to be spending some of your downtime and time off of work researching and gaining the skills that you need to have the job that you want. Mm-hmm. That sort, you know, <laughs> most of us spend, you know, 40 plus hours a week doing what we do for a living. That's a big chunk of a lifetime. And to be doing something that you're not happy with just doesn't seem fair or right to me. The average person has two and a half careers in a lifetime. And so I think why not make those two and a half careers careers that interest you and make you happy? You know, I'm, I'm put in mind of the various waves of immigration that have come to America. 
And one of the characteristics of the immigrant generation is that they work so hard, um, they, they will work multiple jobs, and they build themselves up, not necessarily in areas that they love, but they do that so that their kids can have more than they had. And um, kind of, of uh, conversely, the kids don't appreciate it. I mean, it, it's, it's almost a cliche that they're a spoiled generation and they don't have the same work ethic that their parents had. Um, so I, I think finding something that you will enjoy doing is vital um, but also learning that uh, you have to work, you know, and even if you don't like it, find aspects of that job that you can like or get your satisfaction, get your creative juices flowing outside of the job. I agree with you. And sometimes literally the best thing about a job might be your coworker or the fact that you're only working nine to five or that you get three months off in the summer. But it is really important to find something that makes you happy in doing what you're doing. And, and I think that the second piece really is that there needs to be more satisfaction than just what you're doing at work. I mean, mm-hmm. so many of us spend so much of our time doing the things we have to do that we don't make time to do the things that we want to do. And it doesn't mean, you know, a lavish vacation. It might mean a couple of hours sitting on a beach or taking a bath or reading a great book. Absolutely. Okay, well, what about someone who has lost their job? What's the most, what are some of the most constructive things they can do to get themselves back together? One of the best pieces of advice, I think, is the concept that you have to spend as much time looking for a job as you would need to spend working at it. So if you're looking for a a 40-hour-a-week job, you need to spend 40 hours a week looking for work. Hmm. And most people don't do that. (laughs) No, I'm sure they don't. Um, but those people are actually the most successful because it's intense and it's dedicated. And so whether it's that you're, you know, combing through want ads online or building up your skills, it needs to be things that help you get that job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, so I'm wondering whether the social safety net, unemployment insurance, uh, is being abused. I mean, I certainly consider myself a liberal, and I feel that people should be supported when they've lost a job. But sometimes that could go on too long. Are, do you think people are being too choosy or I, not creative yeah. enough? I really, I mean, the, you know, I, I work with people of all, and talk to people of all different income levels and um, cultures and all that. And pretty much what I see across the board is most people don't feel good about getting an unemployment check. They want to feel, I mean, you know, it's nice to get the money, but they want to feel good about themselves. They want to feel productive. Um, They want to feel like they're providing and they don't just, they just, they get in a rut. They don't seem to realize that if you're not finding work, then you need to go get new skills. Mm -hmm. So spend the three weeks out of work, taking a new computer class or looking into a completely different industry it's about, it, it's, I think people just don't have the resources. They don't, they don't think out of the box. They're not creative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another skill that you describe is learning how to handle the tough times. So what suggestions do you have that could help people cope? I mean, is there like a psychological switch? <laughs> you know, the, the most 
the most productive people are the people who can cope well. When you look at anything from like a small problem like traffic that you're stuck in or a huge disaster, the people that have coping skills do the best. And so one of the things that I have in my book is a quiz at the beginning. And it tests, you know, the reader in all the 10 different areas that I talk about. And, And so it tests your coping skills. You can literally take that test. However, you might even be able to ask yourself, how are my coping skills? Most of us know if we don't handle things well when things go wrong. And that's when you either need to lean on your support system, find somebody who's great in a crisis to help you out, or you need to sharpen your skills. You need to work on being able to bounce back, being able to be creative and brainstorm when things get tough, and being able to take a moment, cry it out, feel like garbage, have a pity party, and then bounce back and get back to what you need to do to make your life better. Right, right. Unfortunately, we often use distractions to escape dealing with the problems, uh, even for just a minute. Then when is that counterproductive? But when is that a legitimate way to be kind to ourselves and to keep ourselves going? Well, I think there's different kinds of distractions. I have a whole chapter in my book on addiction, because I think that's a distraction that's really destructive. And so what you want to really be looking at is, are you distracting yourself to distract yourself, or are you literally trying to escape your life? A distraction would be going to a movie, reading a book, taking a walk, calling a friend. Um, It's when it starts to get destructive and dysfunctional that you're creating damage and not good. I remember years ago interviewing a gal by the name of Judith Wright who wrote about soft addictions, and mm-hmm. that, that's something that uh, is just as much of a time waster and as unproductive as the hard addictions of drugs and alcohol, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I consider shopping a soft addiction. I consider, you know, some people get soft addicted to being on their telephone or being online. They just mm-hmm. spend hours and hours a day. And so they're not things that people would necessarily call destructive. You're not necessarily going to kill someone on a highway doing those things or get liver damage. But, but they are things that are getting in the way of you living your life, getting in the way of you accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what is the role of being kind to yourself and actually having fun? I mean, it, it, I I feel that we as a country have lost our sense of humor. We don't laugh so much for the joy of life. We laugh at other things, and it's a kind of a cruel laughter. I mean, you you listen to these comics on, on the Comedy Channel, and I don't find them funny. I find them cruel. I mean, I agree with you. I think that... that- that people have forgotten what fun is. I mean, look at how the reality shows have escalated that, you know, we have to see someone, you know, beating each other up and falling down in a drunken stupor in order to escape our own lives. (laughs) And that's why I really, you know, I really preach, I preach the importance of fun. Now, listen, I do like to watch reality TV. I've been on some reality shows that, you know, and liked being on them and liked watching them. So that's a fine escape. That's a fine way to have fun. But the important thing is to find ways to have fun that, fill you up that are away from the television set or the computer that Mm -hmm. is, you know, outdoors or with friends or with your kids. And I do think that people, you know, people have gotten so wrapped up in whatever it is that they're wrapped up in the quick fix escape that they aren't taking time to figure out what they really enjoy doing anymore. 
Absolutely. This is a quick fix culture. And, and you know, I, I think if you ask people what do they want out of life, most people wouldn't be able to tell you. I run into that a lot. People tell me they're unhappy, but they're not really sure why. And it's because we've been so busy chasing what we think we're supposed to chase that we've lost sight of what we actually want to have. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about another coping skill? You, you talked about finances and time management. Time management is a critical coping skill. A skill. I mean, it's that thing. You notice how everyone has the same 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Not you. Not you. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> so, so how is it that they accomplish more, you know, in their 24 hours than others, others do? And it really is time management. Um, I mean, see, I have, I have a type A personality, so it's easy for me to do time management. So I, can't, what? <laughs> I would never have guessed. <laughs> exactly. Type of personality that has fun. But so I have to, it's part of, it's, you know, it's who I am. I am somebody that has time management skills. But research after research says that people who manage their time make more money, have better relationships, have more fun, are more successful. They die later. So there's a lot of incentive to get your act together and learn how to schedule. I'm they sorry? I'm don't have time to die. You know, that is what everybody, yes, exactly. All of the time, people who are bad at time management tell me they don't have time to figure it out. <laughs> and you know, there's a million great books out there. So I don't even take time trying to preach to people in my book how to do time management because everybody has different things that work for them. But I will tell you this, the more organized you are, the more fun you can have. If you know where your keys are when you put them down, you save a lot of minutes looking for them that you can spend having fun. Stacy, you describe a really intriguing skill that you call dynamic communication. Now, what is it and why is it important? Dynamic communication is a more evolved way of communicating. A lot of people think communication is just about talking and listening. But what I talk about is you know, we're all communicating all the time. One of the things I hear when couples come to me for relationship advice or parents come to me with things with their teenagers, they say, so-and-so isn't talking to me. They won't communicate with me. And I always tell them they are communicating with you. They are sending you a message <laughs> that they either are angry, they have nothing to say, or they don't feel like speaking to you. And this is part of what I'm trying to teach in dynamic communication. It's there's body language. There's what people are saying when they're not saying, when they're not speaking. It's what are the messages that everyone is sending out, including, including ourselves? What are we saying that we don't even realize we're saying? And I really try and teach people to get very clear about how they're communicating. You know, it's that friend that you say, how are you? And they say, I'm fine. Uh -huh. And you know just by the tone of their voice that they're not. That's not a dynamic communicator. A dynamic communicator is somebody who says, I'm not having a great day, but I don't feel like talking about it. Or I'm kind of in a bad mood and I'm hoping you'll ask me more. Uh -huh. And most of us don't do that. And so when you don't communicate effectively, you don't get your needs met. You don't get what you want. And you end up unhappy. Ah, yes. It, it's kind of like a woman 
wanting her husband to remember her anniversary and yet not telling him because she wants him to be spontaneous or whatever, you, you, uh, you're, you're at an impasse. The guy can't win. Exactly. And I hear that all the time. Women will say to me either, I didn't tell him, or, you know, and then they say, but, but I don't want to cut out a picture of what I want and hand it to him. I said, well, there's something in between giving him the exact necklace that you would like and not saying anything. Mm-hmm. It's called some kind of a conversation about our anniversary, <laughs> like, I hope we can go to dinner on our anniversary. Or I was thinking we could take a bubble bath together or a walk on our anniversary. It's about bringing up the conversation, but it doesn't mean you have to walk up to him and say, so what are you getting me? Yeah, too often in relationships, we, we kind of lay traps for the other, uh, the spouse, um, you know, just kind of daring them to fall into the trap. Exactly. And then we expect them to be psychic. We think we, should, we, don't, we, we don't tell them something, but they should know what we're feeling. And here's the funny thing about men. They're not good at reading us because they don't want to read us. Mm-hmm. And then the funny thing about women is we try and read them because we want to read them, and we're usually wrong. And so here's a bunch of people trying to pick up on each other's communication without having a dialogue and sitting down and talking about what's going on. So you're saying that people should just talk to each other. <laughs> Isn't that a novel idea? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and not yell. It's not yelling and screaming and finger pointing. It's about sitting down and having a conversation. Well, that, that slots in with another skill that you call taking responsibility for your heart. Tell us how that fits in. One of the things that I've noticed is so many of us don't protect our own hearts. We hand over our emotions to another person, expecting that they are going to take care of them the way we want and in a way that makes us feel good. And inevitably, that sets us up for failure. Because if I'm expecting my partner or a person that I care about to do what I want and I'm not explaining how or why, then I can get hurt. The other way I see that, people don't protect their hearts in that they keep getting in these repeated patterns over and over again that hurt them. So if you are in a relationship with somebody that's critical or that yells when they're having a bad day or gets quiet when they're not in a good mood and you keep your heart open under those circumstances, then you're going to get hurt. I Mm. tell people, so if you're with somebody that yells all the time, you need to protect yourself in those moments emotionally by walking out of the room, Uh by keeping busy, things like that. Uh That that can be a real challenge. You know, even even in an abusive relationship, you hear so many cases of people somehow being uh, stuck in an abusive relationship out of a kind of codependency. Yeah, I mean, I very much believe that there's a codependency, but sometimes, you know, so many of us stay in relationships because we just think that maybe things will get better or maybe they'll change or, or if I do this, then this will happen. And pretty much what I believe is a person has to want to change. And if you're beginning to see a pattern in a relationship you're in over and over and over again, then it's a pattern. And that means it's going to keep being a pattern and you need to decide whether you want to be a part of it or get out. Mm -hmm. In these cases, do you think that uh, dynamic communication can help or is it too far gone? 
I certainly suggest that people try it. it. You know, I always say it takes two to tango, and it really does. Now, in an abusive situation, safety is key. So if somebody's in an abusive relationship, they need to, you know, get to a place where they can keep themselves safe. However, if you're just with somebody who's grumpy or yells a lot or is in a bad mood, then certainly you can try to make a difference in how you communicate. Communication's like a teeter-totter. You remember those things on the playground? Mm-hmm. If where one person's on one side and one person's on the other, if, if you start teetering faster, the other person is forced to change the way they totter. If you start teetering slower, they're forced to go slower. And so communication is very much like that. If two people are talking and one person changes, the other person either has to change or go away. Have we missed any of your skills? Um, let's see. Yeah, one of the things that we haven't talked about that I think is really important is flexibility. Life is constantly throwing us curveballs, and the people that can adjust and adapt do better. People who are parents, people who are in a relationship, um, people who are working, flexibility is key. I mean, don't you want to have an employee who can turn on a dime and make a change if something goes wrong on a project or, you know, I, I, when I wrote my book, I started writing my book, and then suddenly I thought, oh, I need to add this, and I needed to be able to be flexible enough to change that. Similarly, when you're in a relationship with somebody, if the person you know, is running late or had a bad day when you had this sort of romantic notion that things were going to be nice that night, the flexible people are the ones that cope the best. They handle life more easily, and they have more peace. So... Would you say that the, 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 the general coping skills that we've been talking about in many different areas are the key to becoming a fully loaded grown-up? Yes. In my book, I talk about being a fully loaded grown-up, and that's literally somebody who, who maximizes all the areas that matter to them. I think that the happiest people are the people that are fulfilled in the areas that are most important to them. So if, you know, for me, it's, it's giving back to people and helping people and being a good parent and being a good friend and having a good time. And I try and make sure that all four of those priorities or values um, are running all the time. What is your hope for how this book will be used? I hope that people will use this book to assess what's not right if they don't feel happy. I so often encounter people who say things just aren't right in my life and I don't know how to fix them. And I think what I tried to accomplish in this book is, is I have the quiz to help people assess what's, what's wrong, and then I came up with very simple, easy-to-read, bite-sized tips to help people fix what's wrong. And if you aren't good in one area, like not everybody's a time management person or has a big support system, then I talk a lot in the book about how to use what you are good at to improve what you're not. And I hope that people will learn that even if you don't have a skill for something, it doesn't mean it can't be fixed. I will mention that um, you have very kindly sent us the quiz, which we have put on our website at ncreview.com slash fully dash loaded. And um, people can take the quiz and do their own little self-assessment and then go out and get your book. So tell me what you're up to now, Stacey. Um, I've been a regular on the Today Show lately, 
and on CNN and Headline News as well, different shows on those channels. And I am currently writing a column for USA Today Online where people can find the link on my website, which is www.stacykaiser.com. I right now have a column that just got posted today about dealing with toxic people, which um, is getting good feedback because it's, my gosh, they just seem to be everywhere. Um, and then I also, you know, my website, people can find me, Twitter and Facebook, to keep posted on what I'm up to. Great. When is your book actually being published? It's this, this coming week, isn't it? It's coming out, yes, in the middle of May, next week. Next week. Well, it's I hope It's available I'll... for pre-order on Amazon.com. I saw it there the other day. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I really uh, commend your book to everyone. Um, would you, do you have a thought you'd like to leave us with, Stacey? I, I, it is my hope that people will take a good hard look at their lives and work to make them the lives that they want to live, being that we each only have one. Well, actually, the jury's still out on that one. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Just in case you only have one life, make it a good one. Well, if you don't make it a good one, you're going to get to come back and do it all over again. So guys and gals, do your best. And uh, there are a lot of tools in Stacey Kaiser's book, the How to Be a Grown-Up, The Ten Secret Skills Everyone Needs to Know. It's published by Harper One, and it comes out on May 10th. If you want to find out more, go to Stacey's website, Stacey Kaiser, that's K-A-I-S-E-R, StacyKaiser.com. So, Stacy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And until next time, 